everybody. Um, it's Joshua Demert from Pinstripe Alley. Uh, this is our weekly, although I guess it's been more bi-weekly lately, uh, Twitter spaces. Uh, we're on a little bit earlier. We're supposed to do this at 7 tonight. But uh, we got some we got some big news in the baseball world. So certainly um, there has been a clamoring for Oswald Peraza to be called up. And uh, Joel Sherman uh, was the first one to break it. And it's been since been uh, confirmed by others on the beat that he uh, will be called up tomorrow. I would imagine that he will start. I can't imagine the Yankees called this guy up for him to ride the bench. We had a bunch of different things that we wanted to talk about, uh, so we might go a little bit long. But, I mean, it's impossible not to talk about Peraza. Very quickly, let's introduce uh, my co-host for today, uh, Esteban Rivera. Hi, Esteban. Hey, let's go, Peraza. Uh, Go get some water. I appreciate Esteban apparently ran home from something while I asked him (laughs) to jump on this space a little bit early, so... Go hydrate, because I'm going to talk a little bit about Peraza before we need your input. And of course, as always, Peter Brody will be joining us uh, a little bit later. So talking about Peraza, um, I'm going to read from his Fangraphs uh, prospect profile at the beginning of the season. They gave him a 50 future value. Uh, We think his talent is commiserate with that of an everyday shortstop. Peraza seems to track pitches with his eyes extremely well. And while his curt, top-driven, top-hand-driven swing has a flat path, he still managed to hit a lot of line drives and fly balls. These three things in concert suggest that he has a special feel for impacting the bottom of the baseball, not just for making frequent contact, but for absolutely squaring it up. He ditches his, he has a fairly long, fairly long leg kick. He ditches it with two strikes. He does have a little bit of swing and miss in his game. He's not quite as polished a hitter, I think, as Anthony Volpe is. But, you know, this is a guy that's going to be... I don't want to say that he's sort of his offensive game kind of reminds me of Gabriel Moreno, where he's going to impact the ball, put a ton of backspin on it, which is exactly what you want to see out of players. I'm curious what his power is going to uh, show in the majors. Um, He's gotten a lot of attention. He has 19 home runs. He actually just hit his 19th this afternoon. His game power, uh, which is sort of the, the way that fan graphs and other evaluators market like, how frequently when facing MLB pitching are you going to be able to drive the ball for power? That's a 50. So again, like there's nothing wrong with his package. I'm a little bit curious how it transfers to the majors. But I think the one thing that we can all agree on, and Esteban, I, I know that you agree with me on this. He is a better shortstop for this team than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is. And this Great. is, I'm going to pick on Isaiah Kiner-Falefa later on in this space. Right now, this is not to pick on Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. It, we're not just kicking him because of the error that he made yesterday, the fact that he sucks. Peraza, I think, is a more complete hitter. He brings more to the plate. And at the very least, he, he by all evaluations, is an everyday MLB shortstop. And I don't think that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is an everyday MLB shortstop. So Esteban... Where are you, where do you disagree, if at all, with with sort of the prospect evaluations, and what are you looking forward to uh, seeing from Peraza tomorrow? No disagreements. I think that the whole game power fifty grade is very interesting and makes sense for his swing type. Uh, in a way, I think that if you look look at Glaber Torres's offensive prospect grades, that it would probably be similar. He's not a 110-mile-per-hour bruiser, but when you create a swing path like he does and you can impact the bottom of the baseball, as you said, you're going to have optimal launch angle stickiness. So you're going to hit the ball between 8 to 20 degrees with a bunch of consistency. I know Glaber Torres struggles to do that at times, but it's not because of his swing. It's because of pitch recognition and pitch decision-making. And Peraza 
I think from the video that I've seen reminds me of that, which is a really good thing. And I think that people should be excited about that. And in terms of defense, my God, <laughs> I'm so tired of this. I, Isaiah kind of left as a top five through seven defensive shortstop in baseball. He's just not. He really is. He, he's not. He struggles to go to his left side, and he hasn't gotten any better at it. And that is what shortstops need to do <laughs> a lot. So, so um, one thing it is interesting that you just said about um, the – five to seven top five to seven shortstops in the game so i don't know i i was finishing as i'm actually on vacation so i'm cleaning my apartment uh getting ready for my mommy to come visit but um i didn't know was it was it boone or was it cashman on the case boone right he does that on thursdays yeah it was boone, um, boone said he that. said that based on the internal metrics that the yankees use kind of left as a top five to seven shortstop in baseball look i don't work for an mlb team but i respectfully disagree um, yes. i don't think that he is and I think it just goes like this is part of a long, a larger conversation about like how much horseshit um, the Yankees sort of operate in, where like they're they're you know I don't blame them. You know, Aaron Boone is not going to come out and bury IKF. He didn't do that last night. He's going to do it on the Michael K show. But it just goes to no, show he you never like, will. But it just goes to show you like the stuff that these guys say. The Yankees, I mean, all teams in baseball, but I think the Yankees are particularly notable for it. Like, don't listen to what Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman say. Pay attention to what they do. There's always talk about like, oh, like Cashman has said he's going to do this or whatever. Like, don't listen to them because the very moment that Aaron Boone was doing the good manager thing and backing up his player, the Yankees were getting ready to call up their, I don't know, not their top prospect, their second top prospect. Yeah. Um, and it's like a perfect, like, I'm sure that Boone knew this was coming, but it's like, yeah, Boone's going to be on the Michael K show at 530 and then at six o'clock, we're going to leak to Sherman that Peraza is coming up. It's just like, yeah. it's just funny to think about. Yeah. So the one issue that Peraza does have in his game is there is some swing and miss in the profile. This was detailed, obviously, uh, in the Fangraphs blurb that I read out. Last year at AAA, uh, admittedly, he only had 30 plate appearances. He struck out 16% of the time. And now in AAA, in 427 plate appearances, this year he struck out 23% of the time. That's exactly the same rate that he struck out at at AA last year. What do we think about... Again, like the thing, if there's a thing that IKF does well, it's he doesn't strike out a whole lot. He does put the ball in play a lot. And you know what? IKF might be on the verge of losing his job. So let's be as kind as we can possibly be for a player that I don't particularly like. It's not a bad idea to have your number eight hitter be a, a pretty contact heavy guy that doesn't strike out a lot. So uh, right now, Steamer has him projected to strike out at 24%. Uh, in the mm -hmm. majors, which would be a little bit above average, not not crazy bad, but a little bit above average, but a very different offensive profile from what the Yankees already feature in that position. So the strikeout profile, Peraza, like I said, I don't think that his type of swing is one that you have to worry about. Like you would worry someone along the lines of Joey Gallo, where it's just a super, super steep bat path and entry into the zone. I don't think that's what's going on with him. I think the swing and miss comes from pitch recognition, which is a matter of time, usually, um, with people who have decent swings and have already performed as well he has. It's usually just a time thing, uh, where the more he plays, the better he will be. In my eyes, there was a bar for when Peraza would uh, take over IKF's position. And the bar probably consisted of things like, okay, 
do we think that he can be as good or near a defender? And if he's not as good of a defender, how good at offense does he need to be? And I think that he can survive or he can pass that bar with a 24%, 25% strikeout rate. And I don't think that it's going to negatively impact the lineup if he is striking out that much. So my God, everyone else strikes out that much. And it's not like I can't doing anything super valuable that a replacement player, a replacement level player couldn't do. I don't really care if he can get a bunt down or if he can hit the ball when there are men in scoring position. I feel like a lot of those hits come from 75 mile per hour ground balls through holes, which is like, you can't rely on that to be. Yeah. He is a, he is a slap hitting shit goblin and I'm glad that he's going to play less. Um, so yes, to this point about the direct comparison between Peraza and IKF, Peraza is projected by steamer. I, I'm curious how much this is going to get updated now that steamer knows he's on the roster because they'll adjust his playing time, Yeah, but he's projected for a 97 WRC plus, which is slightly below average. Um, IKF has posted an 80. Uh, so about 70% yeah. points worse than Peraza's projection. And Steamer's rest of season projection, which is really what matters. What ma- Track record doesn't matter as much as like what we can reasonably project that you're going to do in the future. Steamer's rest of season projection for IKF is a meta 92. So no matter what happens, Steamer at least thinks that Peraza is going to be a better hitter. I tend to think that he'll be a better hitter. And then as you said, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of IKF's defense. So if Peraza can match IKF's, I, I think, below average defense... Uh, then it's an upgrade. And I think it gives Kiner Falefa a chance to play at third base anyway, because, I mean, yep. the difference between him and Josh Donaldson at this point, maybe Donaldson's a slightly better defender, but IKF has a gold glove at third. So that's the position he seems to know the best. And oh, he, he plays... He, sh- go ahead. He can stick it going to his right. Like, he, he can really stick it. He's got good footwork, and he can whip his arm pretty quickly for a solid throw. That's the one thing that I actually enjoy watching him do, and I'm sure other people will think similarly about that. So that that plays in pretty well at third, especially if he shifts himself over a little bit to the the hole so that he's mostly covering balls, or he's cutting off those ground balls and instead using his strength. So I do think it is important to talk about sort of the larger implications of this call-up. So there were a lot of people that were convinced it was service time manipulation, um, that they didn't want to start the free agency clock too early with Peraza. I I mean, obviously, that's that with every single highly touted prospect, that's always going to be a concern. I do think that this, that it's perhaps less of a concern and more making sure that he's eligible for the uh, prospect promotion incentive, which is a program that essentially it awards teams draft picks for promoting their top prospects and those prospects playing well in their first year of service. Uh, And if you burn your first year of service, this is why Gunnar Henderson wasn't promoted until yesterday, even though he was absolutely major league ready. And lo and behold, look what he did in his first minor league game. Hey, major league game. Hey, promote prospects. You never know what can happen. But basically Baltimore wanted to make sure that Gunnar Henderson for, for roster purposes, his first full season would be next season. And then that way, Baltimore would still be eligible to be awarded draft picks if Gunnar Henderson uh, finishes in the top two rookie of the year voting. So, for example, I believe that Adley Rutschman is not eligible to give the Orioles back draft picks. I believe that he had too much time in the majors this year to qualify. 
Uh, so I think that that's more of the reason why the Yankees did this and waited. But two things that we wanted to talk about before the Peraza news came forward. So the first thing is this idea of playing while hurt. And like, look, I did not play baseball at a particularly high level, um, but I'm an extraordinarily competitive person. I think Esteban, you probably played a little bit higher level than I did. And you're a competitive person. Actual professional athletes who make the highest league of their uh, of their sport are like uncomfortably competitive. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they are, they are actually not that fun to be around eight, nine, ten hours a day because they're so hyper competitive. Very few players are ever going to say I'm too hurt to play unless like they feel their their tendon snap in their arm or something like that. Or, you know, the case of Chris Sale, where he knew his finger was broken. If there's an ache or a pain, a player is going to try to play through that because that's just how competitive they are and they're freaks. But I do think that both Anthony Rizzo and DJ LeMahieu have been playing hurt for the past two to three weeks. And it's not unique to the Yankees, but this has been something that we've seen a lot with the Yankees. Obviously, uh, DJ played hurt last year with a hernia. Uh, Luke Voigt two years ago had hernia problems. So, you know... It, I don't know what you do as a don't forget Clint Frazier. Yeah, Clint Frazier Jackson having Frazier, quadruple yeah, Jackson Frazier having quadruple vision from from, you know, however many concussions he suffered. So you wonder if DJ had said I can't go, would that have forced this move a little bit early? I don't know. But it is like you just think how many outs has DJ made or has Rizzo made that wouldn't have been outs if they were either healthy or if healthy substitution uh, had been available. Yeah, and I think at times it definitely depends on what the replacement option is. But now with Peraza up, I feel as if they are more able to afford an IL stint from Rizzo than they would have yesterday, let's say. Um, The official notice from the Yankees uh, reinstated Marvin Gonzalez from the paternity list and uh, recalled Peraza from AAA Scranton. The roster is expanding to 28. Duh, it's September 1st. (laughs) So yeah. there is there are no corresponding <laughs> moves. So yes, and then and then I think that that also maybe gives more credence to the idea that like they're just going to rest uh, both DJ and Rizzo. I would imagine DJ is probably at first for the series in Tampa. Yeah, so that all makes sense. Um, so getting to this idea of the division. So I know everybody's freaking out about the division being up for grabs, and I get it. I don't know. Six weeks ago they were sixteen games up for whatever it was, and now they're only six games up, and that's a big deal. And that's scary. And it's okay to be scared. The world is a scary place. Would you like to play a game, Esteban? Um, yes. I don't have a choice. Okay. No, you really don't. Um, the game is called Guess Which Team Has Higher Odds of Winning the Division. Okay. I'm going to give you two teams. And you're going to tell me which team you think has higher odds to win the division. Make sense? Yes. Okay. The New York Yankees or the St. Louis Cardinals? The Cardinals. Identical. Okay. The New York Yankees or the New York Mets? Mm, I, I'm cheating on this one. It's the Yankees. It the is Braves the Yankees. are a lot better yes. than the Rays. The Yankees have higher division odds than the Mets and the same division odds as the Cardinals. And yet if you ask a Cardinals fan or a Mets fan today, they would tell you that they have a better chance at making the playoffs. And if you asked a Yankees fan, who I did not tell earlier today that the Yankees have higher playoff odds than the Mets do, they would probably guess the other. And boy, if you looked at how these teams are being covered, you would think that the Mets 
cured cancer the way that they're being talked about this year. I'm a little bit tired of it. I don't even live in New York. I live as far away from New York as I can and still be on the same continent. Um, but the, 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 the differences in vibes, and I get why the differences in vibes are there, but I think if you told us on September 1st, if you told us back in March, on September 1st, the Yankees, would, the Yankees and the Rays would be separated by six games, we'd say, boy, the Yankees really need a big September to close that division gap. And so I'm wondering, you're a smart guy. Can you sort of lead us in perspective while still acknowledging that this team has not played well for six weeks? Because no getting around that. They haven't played well. They just had the worst month in 30 years or whatever it was. But we also need to keep some perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the team is still the team and mainly the lineup is still very, very talented. I think that's the main thing. Gleyber Torres is very talented. John P broke out and had a three week stretch of like one thirty WRC plus. I wouldn't be surprised at all. That being <laughs> that being said, I'm worried because he's on the older side and is showing signs of being washed. And then with Glaber, you never really know when the good is gonna come, the bad is gonna come. Sometimes he decides he doesn't want to take full swings. And it's not always telling of when that's going to come out or not. Um, Giancarlo Stanton has been the worst version of himself this entire season. It's probably the worst offensive season of his career since he was maybe 20 or 21 years old. That being said, I also think that there are a lot of positives to look at from him, and it's likely that he rebounds more so than the other two. So right off the bat, there's there's three guys right there where – I would be more confident in than the offensive players on many, many other teams, including the players are on teams right behind the Yankees in the division. So that's a reason to be confident, but I think it's important to balance that a team, I'm not sure who tweeted this last night. It might've been you, Josh, but the Yankees punted on August by trading a very good starting pitcher for a player who is still not on the team. Well, he's on the team, but he's not playing. So to punt vibes like that and just say, hmm, we're good enough. We have a really, really big lead in the division. Let's just play for the playoffs. That's a, it's a risky thing to do. We're seeing it play out in the worst way it could have possibly played out. Realistically, it's not like they were going to even, it's not like, they were going to lose six more games than they already have, and Tampa, per se, could have won those six games. And they could be tied. I guess it's possible, but it wasn't going to happen. Um, and they haven't picked it up. And usually when you go into a schedule and play teams like they have in the past week and a half, you're confident that this is the time that it's going down. Instead, they walk into this series, or I don't even know if walk is the word, they crawl into this series not looking good and if they lose all three the Rays are even closer I feel like every week or so we're like oof the gap is still there it was it was nine games maybe 10 10 days ago or eight games and not six games but when it gets to three four it gets a little it's a little suspect because you can have a bad series like you did against the the Angels or even A's that was an awful series and suddenly a head-to-head matchup is is the difference between the division or not. I'm not sure how many more times the Yankees play the Rays or Blue they Jays. Them six, they played them six times this month. There you go. The Baseball Rays is play- a funny little game that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
there you go. Those head-to-head games are huge. And you want to be outside of the range where in the race sweeping you means they have the division. And how many of those games are in the trough? Because we know the Yankees don't like playing well there. Peter! Hi, Peter. Hey, what's up, Esteban? What's up, Josh? Happy to be here and happy to see the wonderful news that Peraza finally got promoted. So we um, we uh, did a fair amount of Peraza talk. Uh, we can kind of circle back. I just kind of wanted to talk, I mean, uh, your thoughts on both him as a player and what you think his role is going to be uh, on this team. Obviously, he's the news of the day. Uh, we have a couple of other topics we want to talk about, but he's the, he's the big story. Well, uh, I don't know if you guys touched already on, um, on, what's, on IKF's defense. I know we talked about it last night. And there was the Michael K tweet, I believe, today that Boone was quoted as saying that from the internal metrics, they think IKF is a top five to seven defensive shortstop in the league, which makes me strongly question their internal defensive metrics. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a repeat, pretty much. We think very similarly about these things. <laughs> OK, good. Um, and then, yeah, so. Like the the best case scenario is that he comes up and he starts playing shortstop. He starts at shortstop, but they seem really high on IKF. So I really have a hard time seeing what the role is other than a bench player. I don't know how much that serves him, but um, you know he's shown a lot more power this year than I was expecting at AAA. So that I mean, it it just feels like it's this has been doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like this has been coming because it doesn't nec- they don't necessarily do this the Yankees. But I'm I'm really happy to see what he can do if he gets playing time. Um, pursuant to the internal metrics, the only thing that I can think of is that um, they must use a movement-based metric that takes more than one season into account. Because that's really like that's really the only thing that IKF does well is he covers a lot of ground. But when you actually watch him compared to other shortstops, even shortstops that aren't necessarily that good, but if you watch him compared to like Carlos Correa, who's a very good defensive shortstop, like Correa's body is incredibly still and like this is something that happens in in every single sport like the less the the fewer moving parts you have to accomplish a physical task generally the better because there's just fewer things that can go wrong like ikf moves his feet a lot and he moves his core a lot yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um when he fields a ball he's able to move around the field like if you think about sort of the geometric space between second and third, like he's able to move around that space really effectively, but his body just like, there's not a lot of grace, I guess, in his body, not a lot of efficiency. And so the only thing I can conclude is that the metrics the Yankees favor is we want to make sure that a guy can get to all of the balls and then assume that he will make enough plays from there. Because yeah. if you looked at it that way, then I could see them saying IKF is a better shortstop, say, than someone like Corey Seager, who doesn't have that range, but just has much cleaner movement in his body. Yeah. When you have bad footwork, you make errors on routine plays. And if those routine plays come in situations that are high leverage... Like, you know, Mike Trout better. is at the plate with one out and Shohei Otani on deck. Yes. Yeah. It's, just, like, you know, it's like all of Glaber Torres is short uh errors at shortstop from the past two years repeated it is literally the same thing except ikf can just go a little further yeah i i I also agree with peter i don't know what the what the usefulness would be of having peraza up here and having him ride the bench um 
But I guess we'll see. I mean, he's going to get into the game tomorrow at some point. I, I imagine if, if I were running the team, he would be the starting shortstop. But if I were running the team, he would have been the starting shortstop from like January, July 25th on. So, you know, what do, what do any of us know about anything? Um, okay, so let's transition a little bit into um, kind of the things that we were going to talk about today. Um, so full disclosure, uh, like I said, I'm on vacation. I, I won't be writing anything until Monday or Tuesday. I'm on vacation from my actual job. Uh, which means uh, this is great for me. Um, and uh, I'm still riding the high of my uh, Wood Bat League winning uh, our, our championship on Sunday. So I kind of wanted to do this space and not talk about the Yankees because I felt like that would kind of kill my high that I've sort of built up over this week. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about the bullpen because as bad as everything has been, there are two guys in that bullpen that are back to being pretty damn good. So Peter, uh, I know this has kind of been your your beat, so to speak, uh, for the last week or so. Clay Holmes and Jonathan Lewisaga look real good all of a sudden. Yeah, they look back to near, if not at their best. Um, we know how good Jonathan Lewisaga was for the Yankees last year. He was probably their bullpen ace. Uh, was pretty miserable to start the season. Uh, went down to AAA, spent about a month on the IL, and then since coming back off the IL, I think he's he's looked much closer to the to the 2021 version than to the first couple of weeks of 2022 version. Um, and I think the big I initially had written uh, about his new whirly slider, which uh, Lindsay Adler in her piece for the Athletic over the winter talked about. He was one of the first pitchers to kind of buy into that whole whirly sweepy slider philosophy. Um, and in recent games. Um, we've seen a, a good deal more uh, lateral movement on his slider. Um, but uh, Andres and, and Andrew and I were talking about this yesterday in the topic discussion. Really, the key for Loisaga has been getting his, his sinker back. Um, he's throwing it in the, in the zone about eight percentage points more than he was at the beginning of the year. Um, and as we all know, that was really the big fix for Clay Holmes when he came over to the Yankees was upping the sinker usage and just really trying to throw it down the middle and letting the movement do the work. Um, and so uh, uh, Andres had a really, really good article on it today. I suggest that everybody here go read it. It's up on the site right now. Um, but as Esteban wrote in May, uh, one of the big issues for Loisaga was that his release point with the sinker was getting out of whack. Um, he wasn't getting as much extension on it and it was he was throwing it from a lower arm slot. Um, and it was causing the break to occur at the wrong time so that it had a pretty inefficient horizontal approach angle. Um, Esteban is a much, much more of an expert on this topic than I am. So maybe he can, you know, kind of break that down for y'all. But, um, but in recent games, he's got his release point back and lo and behold, just by the eye test, it looks like the sinker is breaking much later towards the plate so that it's getting a much better horizontal approach angle as it crosses the plate. And we're seeing whiffs on it. We're seeing really weak contact just kind of like pounded into the ground. Um, and so it's like really encouraging to see that with Loisga. And then as for Holmes, uh, a lot of people have talked about his release point getting out of whack. And I know Esteban's going to write about that uh, later this week. So maybe he wants to, to talk about some of the stuff that he's uncovered so far. Yeah, this is spurred from a lot of conversations that I've seen on Twitter about Clay Holmes over the past few weeks is that his release point vertically and horizontally has been a little inconsistent throughout the last two months compared to the beginning of the year. And for a pitcher who induces movement like he does, that means who induces seam shift movement via mostly seam shifted wake, 
release point, seam orientation, uh, hand position at release are all really, really important. And if you lose that in any direction, up, down, left, right, it changes the way you're releasing the ball, one. And it also changes the movement that you have on the ball. I'm sure if you go and look at Clay Holmes' movement month over month, week over week, that it's probably similar. But the movement's happening happening at different times when it's traveling to the plate because, uh, as you know, his sinker moves a lot. So if you throw it a little more left or a little more right, that means it's going to move in or out of the zone. He lost command on it for a while, um, but it seems like he must have gotten in the lab during his Phantom IL stint and refined that. I've, I can't remember who said it. It was probably Matt Blake, but... Um, Holmes is a very, very technical pitcher and understands his sinker, why it moves the way it does and how it moves the way it does. So I imagine some time in the lab, just staring at the Rapsodo and where his release point is, was probably very, very helpful. But yeah, that's why I was never too worried about Holmes. It's not like his velo is down or his walk rate had like skyrocketed. He just lost his release point on his crazy moving sinker, and it was only a matter of time till he found it again. Sometimes that happens in uh, long lengths like it did for Loazaga, but um, also it happens in short lengths. Uh, it makes me very interested in the value of just taking time off as a pitcher and getting those things back in the middle of the season, or sometimes even for a hitter as well, if you have a little bit of a bat path issue, that's a, this is a separate conversation. But when you're as smart as somebody like Clay Holmes, when it comes to your pitching IQ, maybe it's a good idea. Um, pivoting back to the Oswald Peraza news. Um, again, if you're joining us, I'm sure that you've heard by now that he's getting called up tomorrow. Well, he got called up today and he'll uh, be with the t- big, big team in Tampa tomorrow. Um, so Mike Ashmore, who covers the Somerset Patriots, the Yankees AA affiliate, uh, brings up a good point, which is there's now an opening at shortstop at AAA Scranton. And Anthony Volpe has been terrific this year. He has sort of climbed into the the real elite tier of, of prospects. Like once you are a consensus top 10, top five prospect across the game, uh, we are talking about guys like uh, Alvarez and... Gunnar Henderson and, and, and guys like that, that are, look, every prospect has error bars, but your error bars are considerably shorter. Um, and Ashmore poses the question, you know, do you call Volpe up to AAA and have him get a month of at-bats against uh, better pitching? The, the minor league season does go later this year because of the, the abbreviated start to the season, um, or I guess the delayed start to the season, excuse me. Um, or do you leave him at AA and let him go in a playoff run with Somerset. Um, if, I think if I had my my choice, I think I would defer to leaving him at double-A because I think that he's shown he can make the adjustment to the higher league so well that I, I there is something different about playing in the playoffs, and I think it's a reward for him that he gets to go on a playoff run with these guys that he's played beside all year I'm not super concerned about him making the jump from double-A AA to triple-A. I'm concerned about the jump to the majors. Um, and I think that that's his project for next year. So finish up the season in double-A, starts with triple-A next year, and is, 
you know, we're all having Anthony Volpe watch all next year. Um, but I'd be curious to what you guys think about that. Well, I think there's sort of a domino effect that goes on here because I think that the only the only way it makes sense to to promote Volpe to Triple A for the final month is if you can guarantee him starting reps there on a daily basis. And the only way that happens is if Peraza sticks with the major league roster, he's with not going to ride the, the entire month. That's right. Yeah. Right. You know, like he's not going to ride the Scranton shuttle. Um, and the only way that happens is if a, he becomes maybe the starting third baseman for the Yankees. I know Donaldson's not doing particularly well. And with Rizzo set to miss the Tampa series, maybe DJ who himself is also hurt starts at first to open up a, <clears throat> a spot at, at third, um, because we, as we talked about, we know that the Yankees are probably not moving IK off, IKF off the short st- off starting shortstop. Um, so it's like a, a sort of list of things need to happen in order for it to make sense for Volpe to, to get promoted to AAA. Um, and, you know, if if this Peraza stint in the minors or in the majors, excuse me, is just a cup of coffee and then he gets sent back down and then you've already called up Volpe, like that's. <laughs> then you've created a logjam where either you're going to force one of them to play out of position or one of them is like not going to start. And that's like an absolutely unacceptable uh, situation. I think that the Yankees may be willing to entertain the fact that Anthony Volpe might be a short, might not be a shortstop. Um, holding on to Peraza over the trade deadline is maybe an indicator of that, that they think he is the shortstop of the future and that Volpe is potentially a second and or a third baseman. Um, and a- added on to that, Glaber Torres being dangled and the potential Pablo Lopez deal. But anyways, I don't know if it's that big of a deal if Peraza doesn't perform well, gets sent back down, but Volpe is also there. If they're both manning that middle infield, it gives will be some time to develop his sense as a second baseman and playing alongside Peraza, which is almost inevitably at this point going to happen next year, as long as Volpe doesn't um, decide that he's not a good hitter anymore in AAA, even though it's a super hitter-friendly environment. Like, a, similar to what Josh said, I'm not really worried about his jump to AAA. I just don't think it's too big of a situation if it does happen. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about the Yankees holding on to Praza at the deadline um, and what that potentially says about their internal evaluations about his versus Volpe's ability to play shortstop long-term. And just looking at, you mentioned the Pablo Lopez deal. I think, I forget who reported, but I think uh, I read that both sides were willing to reopen the negotiations over the winter with Glaber Torres potentially being the headlining piece that would go back uh, to Miami. Man, and, I cannot believe. I don't think that's true. No, I don't. I don't, I, I, I don't think it is that, either. Not with the second half that Torres has had. I, I, I think that there's a very good chance Glaber Torres is not on this team next year. But I think it's, I think it's a Gary Sanchez, Gio Urshela kind of trade rather than uh, a core part of the rotation yeah. kind of trade. I think that he's lost so. It's it's really incredible. He's lost so much value in five weeks. He's not because uh, five not weeks good. ago. <laughs> Yeah, because five, six weeks ago, we were talking, we were saying that he was an all-star snub and like really did deserve a sh- a, to be on that team. And now, oof, like. Right, right. So let's say, so let's say that Glaber isn't, isn't in the future plans for the Yankees after this season. Um, I think DJ makes much more sense long-term at second base than at third base. 
Um, so maybe there is some utility to DJ getting long term sense at first base. Thank you very much. Man's 34 okay, years yeah. old with a broken foot. Right. Okay, so okay, so yeah, like if we say that DJ is a long term uh makes most sense at first base, then then to your point, Esteban, I do think then there is some utility in having Volpe and Praza play side by side in the middle infield to kind of just see how that gels for you know for the future. Yeah, and I think that DJ and Volpe can all fit in the same team. The Yankees being Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone have reiterated over the last three or four years that they look at LeMayu as a utility guy. So I don't see that changing anytime soon. He's good at all three of those positions that he plays. And even though his foot is a little, a little messed Broken. up and his, yeah. <laughs> and his body just continues to fill him at times. Uh, I still wouldn't I imagine that he's going to continue as a utility man. Did you guys know, did you guys know, that uh, DJ LeMayhew will become a free agent right around the time of the 2026 midterms. You guys know that? Is that fun? Is that that's, fun that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. You guys are going to have three elections in between now and when DJ LeMayhew's off the team. Isn't that fun? That's a fun fact. Anyway, yeah, I mean... Well, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't make contract decisions. <laughs> and and, I, and it, um, it just kind of further emphasizes uh, the need for them to actually get him healthy because we see what happens when he tries to play hurt versus healthy. So, um, and all of this, like, as we project up to 2023, I think it's important to remember, like, Anthony Rizzo can opt out. And one would think after this year, he could probably get more than 116 guaranteed. But also, if his back is gone, then maybe he couldn't. So, I don't know. It's a mess right now. But at the very least, Peraza will be uh, with the big league team tomorrow. Uh, state media, Jack Curry, just tweeted out that the Yankees, uh, comparing Peraza to Oswaldo Cabrera, who started in every single game since he came up, except for last night. Last night was the first time he didn't start, and saying that uh, the Yankees should give Peraza that same opportunity. So he's stopping short of saying they will, but it's Jack Curry. What he says is is pretty reflective of, of how the team is thinking. Um so let's pivot away from the Yankees just to kind of close us out here. Um, I do want to do a little bit of awards talk. I really like, I know a lot of people are sort of, if you talk, to, if you listen to like Effectively Wild or, or other places, like people that write about baseball don't actually like talking about awards all that much. I love it. I think it's, I think it's a fascinating way to determine how you think about value. So we've talked a lot about AL MVP on this show. And it's funny, like we just had, uh, I know, Peter, you're writing about it for next week, but we just had this opportunity to see the two, the two real, I think, American League candidates. I don't think that anybody else is particularly close uh, with respect to Jose Ramirez, uh, who's having a great season. I, I don't think that anybody else in the AL is all that close to Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. Aaron Judge is the single most dominant player at a single position in the major leagues this year. And Shohei Otani is like the 14th best hitter and like the ninth best pitcher. And we've gone back and forth on that value and what that means. It feels like if the voting was held today, I think judge would still win. Um, do you two disagree with that? No, nope, I agree. I agree with you. A much more interesting conversation. The, the, uh, the other sort of big American league awards are much more interesting to me. Um, so in the, American League Cy Young race, you have sort of like three or four guys. You have Verlander, 
uh, McClanahan, Cease, and Alec Manoa. Um, probably in that order, if the voting was held today, would be how I would imagine it would go. Um, Verlander has a balky calf. We'll see how long he's out. Shane McClanahan, I think you should be worried about, like, the dude. So he was, again, if, if, you're, if you haven't heard, he was warming up for his start yesterday, and he was pulled out of the bullpen, and he was crying. And he has shoulder impingement, which can mean a lot of different things. Um, that can be everything from, you know, what Luis Severino has been through all the way to, you know, capsule surgery, which would be a disaster. Um, and just remember what I said about like pro athletes being like extraordinarily competitive. Like you don't see guys cry uh, in, in, you know, there's no crying in baseball as, as the saying goes. So I think that something is very wrong with Shane McClanahan and, you know, I know he's a Ray, but you never want to see a guy. You never want that to happen to somebody. But with them, with their availability in September, perhaps in question, does Dylan Cease become the AL Cy Young favorite? Uh, it, it it probably won't be Garrett Cole and it probably won't be Nestor Cortez. So I don't know that the Yankees have a real candidate. Um, but how, how are you two handicapping this? Uh, so uh, I think it all depends on, on how long Verlander misses. Um, because he... He sounded optimistic saying that they dodged a bullet and it's kind of a best case scenario so far with the calf, but he's also like, what, 39, 40 years old. So we'll see. Um, but if Verlander is indeed only out for the minimum 15 days, I think he's still your front runner. If he misses a month or more, I do think that Cease probably becomes the favorite. The, the walk rate is a little bit concerning, but that being said, I think he had like, what was it? It was like a 11 game stretch where he gave up one or fewer earned runs in a row, which is just absurd. But if it's, I'd say Cease becomes a favorite if Verlander is out for longer than the 15 days. And then I don't know. I don't know if I agree with Manoa even being on the leaderboard. I think you maybe have a guy like Gossman sneaking ahead of him. Shane Bieber is quietly having another good year, but I don't really think that he garners any sort of serious attention. So yeah, I, I do think that it becomes Dylan Cease's award to lose if if Verlander, I mean, like, as we said, McClanahan looks like it's serious. And then if Verlander is out for an extended period of time, I do think it becomes ceases to lose. I agree that it's cease. Uh, when it comes to awards like this, I'm not too concerned about like what is supposed to what is supposed to happen or what um, FIP or Sierra or any other. Don't say that. No, 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 no. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to yell at you. No, no, no. Are you ready for finish. me to yell at you? Let me I'm going to yell at you. No, just FIP, let me FIP represents let me what happened. FIP, FIP happened. FIP really happened. FIP is your strikeouts and your walks and your home runs. It is not a predictor. It is <laughs> it is more indicative of your true performance. FIP just because, is also just because, used just because as it a is, run. Just because it is more predictive <laughs> does not mean that it is a predictor. FIP, this is true. FIP is not, I've read FIP is not that guy blogs. online that like, guesses <laughs> fictional characters in 20 guesses. That's not what FIP is. Yes. Tired of this. Tired of this. We went through this last year. We're supposed to get over this yeah. last year. Yep. Go ahead. However, continue your thought. I'm more concerned about people who touch home <laughs> when it comes to um, awards. You know who? You um, know what is a great way to prevent people from touching home? You know, you want to know a great way? Is it is strike it them all guess? out? Don't walk them and don't give up home runs. 
Yeah. Which, so which, which I, I believe there's I believe there's a good metric. At that. I believe there's a metric that measures that actually. And if there's not, we should make one. Yeah, yeah. All that to say, I also think Dylan Cease is the front runner with McClanahan and Verlander being um, in the position that they are. Uh, I don't think that the walks matter too much uh, with Cease because, like Josh said, striking everyone out is good and it works. He does that really well. He's basically just Nolan Ryan with less volume. I could be really into Kevin Gosman as a Cy Young candidate. This could really be. This might be my new thing. I might have to. I might have to go full full gauze. Are you looking at his FIP? <laughs> no, no, no. But listen, Testamon's Testamon's point though. I do think that ERA you know plays many... an oversized role in voting. Still, yeah, we so are. Here's the thing. We are here's talking about who we think is going to win, or are we talking about? Who deserves to win? I don't think I specified. I just think I said like, "How would you handicap the race?" Which I guess is who you think is going to win. I, I guess like what I what I look at now that I like when you look at Kevin Gosman, it's not the same as last year with Corbin Burns because the ERA is a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a similar kind of conversation of like, what do pitchers? If we're evaluating a pitcher's contribution, then what do we determine, like, how do we determine what a pitcher actually contributed? Like, it's it's the most basic and reductive design, but, like, pitchers sometimes have to get four outs because they strike a guy out and a guy reaches first base. It's not on a pitcher. Mm, I guess that depends. It could be on the pitcher. <laughs> We're all I'm getting together in, in December, and I, I, I cannot wait to get to yell at people in person. It's going to be so much fun. I've been waiting waiting six years to yell at some of you in person is going to be great. Um, Okay, here's the one that I think is most interesting and perhaps the one that I need to make most of a public apology for. Peter, I've come to a realization. Wait, wait. I I need to say one more thing. I need to say one more thing. This can't go unsaid. What do you need to say? The reason why... uh, We didn't talk about the NL Cy Young too much because obvious... I don't care about the National League. Sandy, Sandy, thank you for putting me in second place in my fantasy league. But outside of yeah. that, I don't care what they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you if you look at the Fangraphs leaderboards for um, for pitching war, Sandy has no separation from the next three guys. I think Carlos like Rodon and Nola. Yeah. yeah, but if you look at B War, which is calculated with why would I ever look at B War? Well, it's because Sandy Alcantara's best ability is to suppress contact. Um, it's to not necessarily strike a bunch of guys out, but just have the most overwhelming stuff where people literally just can't get a barrel on the ball. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if F4 or FIP is telling the story of Sandy Alcantara's season as amazing as it has been. And so I don't think that that means that one is better than the other. But I do think it means that you need to consider the type of pitcher that is, or the types of pitchers in the races and what they are really, really good at doing. If he's really good at making sure no one gets the barrel on the ball, I know strikeouts is a really good way to do that. I'm very well aware. But if he can do that while throwing as much volume as he is, has, he has, then I 
think B-War probably tells the story of what he is doing much, much better. It's interesting because I think the reason why why I think that Sandy Alcantara is going to win the NL Cy Young is because he's going to be the only pitcher that comes close to 200 innings. Like that's right. like so, that's and that's that's the yeah. to me that matters. I don't I don't care. I actually don't care about war in in the NL Cy Young race at all. Um, I don't even particularly care about ERA. Like Alcantara is going to have two hundred and fifteen innings, two hundred and twenty innings, which is unheard of in twenty twenty two. So for any team to give him that many innings, he must by default under the culture of baseball that we live in today, he must by default be the best pitcher. So that's actually the that's actually the, the argument that I would use for Sandy. It, it actually isn't a war argument. It's actually much much more old school than that. Yeah, and I think Esteban, I think you bring up a really good point about there needing to be proper attention paid to rewarding what certain pitchers do best, and not necessarily um, holding every pitcher up to a certain prototype of or archetype of like here's what a, a starting pitcher needs to be, and if they're not striking out like. 30% of guys, then we need to knock him for that. Um, before I agree with you further, I just want to get this out there, defund B-War. Um, but <laughs> I do think that there's, um, they they definitely value innings pitch more than more than Fangraphs does. And I, I can sympathize with that while not maybe not necessarily agreeing fully with it. Um, but I do think mm-hmm. that this this raises another interesting point that I think it was uh, it was it was Tango who said that they're formulating a Statcast war um, that would do exactly what you're talking about. Would would look at quality of contact, for example, as as a uh, marker of value that a pitcher brings. Um, and I think if we were to look at a formulation of Statcast war, maybe five years down the road, retroactively applied to Sandy's season this year, I think it would look very favorably upon the type of weak contact that he's able to generate. Yeah, um, two two things about that. If uh, if they don't use spray angle in their calculation of um, quality of contact, and like they don't now, then it's not going to nearly do it justice. As uh, as amazing as it sounds, a hundred percent agree with that. It would it would be very it would very be very unfortunate. And when I was there, that, I think that you should send, like I think that, that you should send Tango a tweet and tell him that and see how he reacts. That'd be very funny to me. To be fair, I talked about that with Tango and a few other people when I worked with him. Have you seen his face? To be fair, yes, I have eaten lunch with him mm. on many occasions. <laughs> What's his? What's his? Watch, um, watch, 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 watch your feet, boys. Names are dropping. Because yeah, I know that's that, that's where it stops. That's where it stops. <laughs> that's an, that's one of my big pet peeves with with Statcast in its current formulation is that they don't take spray angle into account, and that just that kind of gets at me. And it almost leaves all of their expected statistics useless. Agreed. Anyways, oh. Oh. I agree with what you were saying. <laughs> We need to get to the other big one. And again, as I said, this is where I, I have to eat a little bit of crow, which is certainly not what I usually do, um, mostly because I'm right about a lot of stuff. Peter, you recall a conversation that we had about one Adley Rutschman. <laughs> yes, Adley Rutschman. The F4 watch. And I, and I confess, Adley Rutschman might be good at baseball. He may be, <laughs> he may be, don't have a lot of data yet, don't have enough data to say for sure. He may be pretty good ball player you might um, be honest and, yeah maybe where's and cooper this is, where's cooper 
uh, getting his, uh, getting his, as, as Andrew cracked, getting his credentials, uh, rebranded. <laughs> yeah. Now that crypto.com is in, is in shambles. Um, so this, this is the most, to me of all the awards, um, this is the most interesting to me, the AL rookie of the year. Um, I think that there are two candidates again, that, that really stand out and similar to the Otani judge conversation it tells tells me a lot about what you value uh, in baseball. So the two the two finalists are going to be Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman. Uh, Adley Rutschman has a one twenty nine WSC plus. Julio has a one thirty. Adley Rutschman has three point five. Grandgas WAR. Julio has three point six. Julio has played in thirty more games, uh, about one hundred and fifty more plate appearances. Has shown significantly more power and obviously he has more of a power speed game uh rutchman is very much like a line to line uh gap hitter doesn't strike out as much doesn't walk as much and he has been you know one of the three or four best defensive catchers in baseball however julio is really quickly becoming one of the faces of baseball um and has really rejuvenated uh, a mariners team so if I had a vote, I think I'd probably vote Adley because I think that his contribution goes outside of his own production at the plate or in the field. If you look at Baltimore, one of the really extraordinary things that Baltimore has done is they become a good pitching team. Like we keep saying every single week, like Baltimore isn't good yet, but they're getting good. Like Baltimore's pitching is good. And I think that similar to the way that we credit Jose Trevino for being, for really taking this, this rotation and this bullpen to another level. I think we have to extend the same credit to Rutschman. And that to me has such a, such a broader impact on the overall direction of a franchise, even in one season Um, for as good as Julio has been. And he has been extraordinary. Um, I think if I were voting today, I, I think it would probably be Adley. Uh, I would second that. If I were voting today, I would also vote for Adley. Um, I think he, he might already be the best catcher in baseball just on a per 650 plate appearance he rate. Is. He, as you mentioned, Josh, and I'm glad you brought this up, he makes his team better in a very tangible way. If you look at the performance of the pitching staff, before and after he was called up and was established as a full-time starter, I, I unfortunately don't have them in front of me. I think that they would say that the team, that, that the pitching has taken an enormous step just by virtue of him going behind the plate, being a top three defensive catcher in terms of framing and blocking the ball, and the just the way that he's integrated with the staff in like half a year, and the sort of intimate understanding that he has of what makes the pitchers like how to maximize their performance for a guy who's like, what, 24 years old is remarkable. And if we want to talk about value, there's no way to really, it's hard to capture this, but you could say that Adley has contributed a much greater overall value by virtue of his own play and the increase in the play of his teammates. I mean, I'd like to, what do you think, Esteban? Yeah, yeah, I'm also taking Adley because everything you're saying is like music to my ears, really. Um, 
it's one of those things where I think you have to listen to people who are in the situation and when they talk about him and the impact they have and the impact that he has on others. Like, I, I just think it's one of those things where you need to listen to people. Um, like with Yadi Molina, I know this is not something I want to talk about that much or people are probably tired of hearing about it. But I feel like we should probably listen to all the pitchers he's had, all the coaches that he's had when it comes to he has he has or untangible impact on his pitchers and pitching staff. And it seems like Adley has that same uh, that same trait. And don't get me wrong, the Orioles pitchers have nasty stuff, but perhaps he puts them in a position to maximize that nasty stuff like like you just said. He just knows how to get the most out of them. Okay, so it sounds like we're all pretty much in um yeah, I'm going to go enjoy my vaca- vacation now. I'll probably even make, take some kind of vacation break to uh watch Oswald Peraza tomorrow. Um I mean, Peter, the last word that I would say before turning it over to you too is uh, you did say earlier like I I, you don't think that they're going to move IK up off of starting shortstop. I think the more that I sort of kick it around in my head, I think probably the best idea right now is uh, IKF rides the bench and coming as a, as a replacement for either whoever's at second or whoever's at third um, for the rest of, for the next, I don't know, two weeks or whatever. And let's see what Peraza has. I don't see a lot of value in moving Peraza off of short. I don't see a lot of value in him not starting every single day. If the whole point of the stopgap plan was going to be that on opening day next year, one of those two guys, Peraza or Volpe, was your opening day shortstop. It does not make sense, in my opinion, to call up one of those guys and immediately put him in a different position. So that's what I'm looking for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I I absolutely agree that it doesn't make sense to call him up and then not play him short. But I think that when Aaron Boone makes the comments that he does yesterday about IKF, explicitly like going out of his way to you know hype up IKF and his ability to play shortstop, it feels like a very un-Yankee thing to do to then forty-eight hours later turn around and then bump him off of shortstop. I think that was just a, a very overt vote of, of of favor in IKF's camp that this is our guy at shortstop for the remainder of the season, regardless of what anybody else has to say, because what we believe in our internal metrics say that we are justified in continuing to play him at shortstop. And we obviously agree with that stance. But like I said, it just feels like a very un-Brian Cashman, un-Aaron Boone, un-Yankee thing to do to basically do the opposite of something that they say a couple days later. Esteban, we'll give you the last word on this one. I think, Josh, you made a good point before Peter joined in that maybe it's a good idea to not listen to them all that much. Yeah, I mean, like, like so to Peter's point, like, Aaron Boone goes on the Michael K show and says, we, um, internal metric, blah, 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 and then, and then Peraz is called up. So, yeah, I, it's so funny when you see these kind of things, and I'm not saying, I actually do, like, think that everybody should live their lives exactly as I do, because I think that we'd all be in a better place uh, mentally and emotionally. But like, I'm not saying live your life exactly the way that I do, but like when you see something that Aaron Boone or Brian Cashman said, 
And especially when you see Martino or Sherman or whatever say that someone within the Yankees organization said, I think we need to like remember that there is there is a goal here that is not necessarily exactly what they're saying. I think that the goal with with backing IKF up was actually taking the pressure off of Peraza. And it gives a really good out if Peraza comes up and stinks, which could happen. Uh, Jared Kalanick, we all thought was going to be as good a prospect as as Julio, and the dude might never play pro, might never play in the majors again. If Peraza stinks, then you can go bring IKF back and say, look, our our internal metrics say that he's super strong. We wanted to give the rookie a shot because this is his position, but you know he struggled. We're not worried about him struggling, but we need to go back to what we knew we had. Um, rather than looking at his comments and saying, oh, they believe that IKF is the starting shortstop. That's just the way that I'm thinking about it and I'm interpreting it. I'm not saying that everybody has to follow exactly what I say, but yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised if that was the approach. And if in two weeks, you know, Peraza has been sub-replacement level, then you bring that that quote back and say, well, our mix believe in IKF, so he gave the kid a chance, he struggled, we're going back to, to what we knew we had. Yeah, I think you make a really valid point. I think I was just so caught off guard by the timing of the of the quote in juxtaposition with with Praz being called up like a little bit after it. Um, but but to your point, I do think I do think these comments can be can strategically take pressure off of Praza to perform because he's not he's not stepping into a situation where where it's like oh we are calling you up explicitly because we don't think IKF can play shortstop anymore and now you have to be the starting shortstop for the Yankees and you have to perform immediately once you're called up now it's like oh we have a starting shortstop but we are going to just give you a shot with no strings attached no pressure on you we just we just want to give you this opportunity because you've earned it and if it goes well then that's good for all of us and if it doesn't go well we have our ready-made starting shortstop right right in the wings yeah I think that they maybe they learned a little bit from the way that they handled the free agent offseason when it comes to all those shortstops. Instead, that they're trying to take pressure off of their top prospects. Imagine the Yankees learning something. Okay. Um, yes. Oswald Peraza up tomorrow. That's going to be exciting. Um, Esteban, Peter, thank you so much for joining. Esteban, thank you for running to start this early. Yeah. It was fun. Peter, thank you as always. Yep. Josh, Esteban, a pleasure as always, and I look forward to the next time. Yeah. See you guys. See ya. See ya.